Welcome to the Connection Podcast. I'm Jason Keister, the show's producer, here with hosts Drew Boreen and Lexi DeLuna. Let's get ready to connect with somebody new today. Welcome to the Connection Podcast. We have some returning guest hosts we're excited about. First, we got Tina Marchant. Hello. And we got Lexi DeLuna, finally back. Um, I was invited to the last one. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, that might have been... A uh, little fresh wound there still. Sorry, Lexi. I don't, uh, I don't know what to follow up on with that. I don't know. And we have our, our guest host, our host of honor, whatever you want to call it, Christine Fuller. Hi, everybody. Excited to talk to you today, Christine. Thanks. You, know, you, you might have been voluntold for this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> by your husband. I hope that's okay. It's okay. I want to I kick this off, guys, because... <clears throat> We just got done with general conference. I want to know, going around the room here, what, what were you guys' big takeaways or things you really liked? Go, Lexi. Okay. Um, well, I said this earlier, but complete honesty, I totally made me not accept the majority of the morning sessions. Um, but on, I think it was Sunday, I don't know. But there was a talk um about like comparison and like perfection and like um Christ. And I really like that and um him saying that basically like if we compare ourselves to others, one of two things is happening. Either we're gonna bring ourselves like really high up on a pedestal or we're just gonna like get into this like self-deprecating mindset that is beneficial for absolutely no one. Either those are like bad and whatnot. And I think that was that was a good message. I like that. Yeah, I totally agree. Sorry. <clears throat> um, I loved uh, Elder Uchtdorf's talk to parents. It was just like a real um, boost of just goodness and honesty and truth and encouragement. I loved how he talked about um, how our job is just to prepare the soil. It's not our job to yank on the the stem. I loved that flower analogy. I can't get that out of my head because you can't, you literally cannot help a flower grow any faster and you can't help your kids grow any faster or learn any faster. You just have to continue to provide what they need and they'll grow if they want. (laughs) So I loved that talk a lot. I love that. That one stood out to me a lot too, because I think And we do this in the church, too, um, just like anywhere else. But we we focus so much on skill transfer and, you know, you're you're broken and and we're trying to fix you and make you into a competent adult uh, when the truth really is we're more coming in as adults with experience. And let me tell you in little ways here and there how you can grow and maybe how I can help. Mm -hmm. But you're going to be your own person. Mm -hmm. I I have to remind myself of that. And he and that that um, quote that said, you know, talking about how we need daily bread and that daily bread is best prepared and served at home. And that was just like, yes, in little bits, like every day, you just have to give daily bread every single day. So I think I thought that was kind of liberating <laughs> because it took some of the pressure off, oddly enough, of having to do the full lesson every day or yeah. something. It's it's. I probably can't do that, but I can read a scripture or share something that was a cool spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. Or even just make, love, right? Even yeah. just any kind of Christ-like love, just in doses all day, every day. I'm not, sorry, not not all day, every day. <laughs> I don't do that. 
a little bit every day is the way to to wait is the way to you know water and grow. Yeah, so. I loved at the end of that one too when he was talking about <clears throat> that Jesus was the strength of youth, but he's also the strength of parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was a good like bookend. Yeah, <laughs> um, I liked where uh, President Nelson's talk. I thought that that was timely and much needed about um, not throwing scalpels. Mm-hmm. But that was really good. Um, he just said, "Don't don't throw anything in anger, whether they be scalpels or words." And um, that's something that I've had to focus on a lot in my life. I'm very sarcastic by nature, um, and I just I remember one lesson in seminary. Thanks, mom. Um, that was a, about there was a quote about sarcasm that really hit me hard. Like it's never a good thing. Like it doesn't help you. It doesn't help the other person. Um, so any kind of like anger or sarcasm are kind of biting words. And I, I just liked his talk and reminding us that Jesus is peace and we're to be the peacemakers. So I like that a lot. You don't really hear a talk about anger very much. Mm-mm. That was cool. I like that. I like how it, I think at the end he said, too, and you'll be tempted to share this with somebody else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can yeah. think of somebody who needs this more <laughs> than this you do. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. There was probably a Mormon ad about sarcasm, right? That was <laughs> hanging was. on the wall yeah. of seminary. Yeah. <laughs> I, I still think Mormon ads are the original meme. They yeah, are. They totally that. are. I totally own that before yeah. it was cool. But. It's a weird name. Well, Mormon I, ad, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote down multiple times at every session, somebody talked about being kind to other people Um, or as the great philosophers bill and ted once said be excellent to each other (laughs) right (laughs) you you know what was interesting this morning in seminary i had a kid say a student say i can't believe how many people talked about the things we've been talking about in seminary (laughs) and i was like yeah i mean there were so many new testament references Mm -hmm. and i think it's just because we're all studying the same thing and it's so it's fresh on everybody's mind including all the general authorities and so they talked about all these parables and so much New Testament stuff. And maybe it's just that we pick it out more because it's fresh. But I was so impressed with – good job, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> also <laughs> Easter, right? It's Easter, so that's a lot of New Testament. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. I'm going to go around the room here. Lexi, get us started. You had some questions for Christine. I want to start Let's, well, first, I have to clear yeah. up that I have four kids. Oh, I was going to say, she needs to tell And I have story, to right? say their names correctly because my husband got one of them wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah. We didn't put in the redaction yet. Wait, wait. Yeah. She, doesn't she have to do like the whole like intro? Let's, when you, let's when you intro go into you, room? yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, where do I start? <laughs> You're introducing you and your family in a new ward. Like when oh, I was yeah. little, born? No. You can start there. Okay, I was I well, I was born in Salt Lake City, but I moved to Fresno when I was 10, Fresno, California. So that's I I have memories of growing up in Salt Lake, but mainly um mainly my memories are in Fresno, California. Um, we actually moved there. We, so all of our family lived in Salt Lake city growing up, like my grandparents, cousins, everybody, but we uprooted my dad, my parents uprooted our family to, to move to Fresno. We had no family there. It was a job opportunity. And so we moved quite far from all of our family. And that was a big change. Um, we grew up with just friends being our family, like ward family, which is something that Jeff and I have also chosen to do. We don't live near our family. 
And so, I don't know, it's kind of an interesting, uh, it was, it was an interesting way to grow up. You know, we, we always had to travel to see our family. We didn't have nearby family. Um, uh, so anyway, I went to BYU, um, after I graduated high school and Jeff and I met there our freshman year, actually like first week of college. Um, we were good friends and we're on a volleyball team, competitive volleyball team together with some other roommates. Um, and then he got a mission call and kind of checked out and that was the end of that. He, I think he and I both hoped that someday we'd get back together, like as, you know, dating, but he left on his mission and I came back to school the next year and dated and had a great time and then chose also to serve a mission when he had about six months left. So when he I left for my mission to South Africa, Johannesburg, South Africa, when he had about, so we were on mission together for about six months. I think he mentioned that in his episode, we, we wrote a lot of letters and, um, and then came home and he came to my homecoming, drove all night to come (laughs) with a friend. And he, I don't know, it was kind of like, both of us were just, I think, hoping that things would work out. And I think once we were back together, we just knew like, oh, yeah, this is it. So it was awesome. He came back out um, to my house because I got home in, I want to say, June. And so I had we had until September before we headed back to school. So he came out one more time to visit. Maybe I came home in July. I can't even remember. Um, and we hung out for five days. That was really fun. We went up to San Francisco and visited his sister and, and that's basically when we got engaged. And so then we went back to school. We weren't really officially engaged until October. And then we got married in February. So finished school up there. And then we moved to Salt Lake for four years. Uh, he, he got his master's degree at Westminster. We lived in Salt Lake. I worked a little bit at first, um, downtown at the Salt Lake Convention Visitors Bureau. That was an awesome job. I just worked for a director there and just kind of promoted Salt Lake as a destination for conventions. So that was really fun. And then I had, um, first baby James and that's when I stopped working. And, um, and then we moved here to Oregon when, he was two and I was pregnant again and we uprooted our family because we had a lot of family in Salt Lake too and all of his family lived in Brigham City and we uprooted our family and decided to move to Oregon for him to go uh, get a PhD. And so that's what brought us here and we've been here ever since. So that was in 2000 and I don't even know. Don't look at me. Five. (laughs) (laughs) Like when was Owen born? 2005. (laughs) So we've lived here now for 18 years almost. And we love it. I don't think we'll ever leave. I don't. People always ask us because most of our family lives in Utah. And they're always like, aren't you coming back? And we're like, nope. (laughs) We really like it here. I don't really want to live in Utah. So. What is it you like about here? Um, I just love... That's a good question. I don't know how to put it into words. I love the proximity of all the, you know, you know, you can go to the mountains, you can go camping, you can go to the beach. I love that. Um, I don't know. I just think Oregonians are very unpretentious. They're, it's just a place where I've never felt the need to fit in in any kind of a click, any kind of a, I just, I don't know. It's, I just really like that. I really like how very um 
I like the politics of Oregon, actually. <laughs> I prefer a blue state. And yeah, I just really like it here. So I, I never put that to words, actually, but it's true. It, it does feel more laid back in that regard. There's less uh, keeping up with the Joneses, I feel like. Totally. Um, than other places we lived. Mm-hmm. And it, it is true. Like, I an hour away from the beach you're an hour or two away from the mountains i mean we always say that to everybody but it's true like anything you want to do almost is here somewhere Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. really close and accessible yeah for anybody you know for any like ability you can find something to do that's fun and i mean i've i've learned how to love camping here i never camped as a kid at, at all but you know we didn't live near great campgrounds or anything and here i mean there's just you could literally go to a different campground every week and just have an amazing time so that's definitely something that i've learned to really love since living here is camping okay um i wanted to hear about your mission specifically you said that there are two significant events that helped you decide Yes. Okay. So when I was at BYU, this was still when um, the age for girls was 21. So I was almost done, actually. I had gone through three years of college, and um, my older sister was two years older than me, and she had chosen to serve a mission. That was kind of a tough decision for her. She didn't think that she would, and then she kind of decided to and got a mission call to Salt Lake City, Utah. And that was surprising because we had grown up there and we were, we were, she, we were in Provo. So she, um, went and served and it turned out to be amazing because I was in, I was at school in Provo and often she would need, they, because they had so many different members around them, they would go on split missionary splits with members of the ward and they would need, sometimes they would only have one. So she would, she got permission to be able to call me And have me come and go on a split with her. So I got to do that about four times when she was in different areas. And I would just drive to her apartment. And and this was before, you know, you couldn't even call home. Yeah, I was going to say that. Then it was very cool. And so I got to see her as a missionary and I got to teach discussions with her. And that was one really significant event for me. And those four times that I was able to see her as a missionary, I just got a real glimpse into what mission was like how it had changed her. It was awesome. And so that got me thinking about it because I was, I was as as soon as she finished her mission was right around the time I was going to be, you know, 21. And so um, the other significant event was that I worked in an Italian restaurant in Provo with a lot of good friends. It was a great group of people that I worked with. And one of the girls, her name was Molly, and she was um, about similar age to me, probably 1920. And she was pregnant. She had gotten pregnant. Um, and so she, she wasn't married. So she worked with us her whole pregnancy and she had chosen to give the baby up for adoption. And so, um, it was an interesting experience to watch her, um, go through the pregnancy, choose a family through LDS social services, and give the baby up for adoption. And and then after that, she went through the repentance process and was very open about it 
and really, really um, kind of brought us all along on her journey. And um, I remember that we used to go with some of those friends to um, do baptisms for the dead in the mornings. And Molly really wanted to join us. And she was kind of working towards that. And I remember the day that her first time back at the temple, and it had been years for her. She had never, you know, I mean, maybe she went a few times as a youth. And so we all got up and we went over to the temple and she was baptized. Um, I remember watching her be baptized and it was almost like her own baptism again, you know, because she had been on such a long journey. And I felt the spirit so strong and the spirit just really prompted me in that moment. Like this is, this is mission, you know, this is like going out there and helping people and being a part of their coming back to Christ or coming to Christ. And so I, 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 at that time I really kind of knew I had been praying to know if that was something that I should do. And, um, and that was kind of my answer. So I submitted my papers. I was I was dating a guy at the time, and he was older than me, and he wasn't super supportive of of me serving a mission. That was kind of a difficult thing. But I, I after having that experience, I felt really strongly about it. So then I got my call, and it was com- <laughs> it was like all the way across the world from her, yeah. and she was like, and I ha- literally had never even considered Africa as a place to. I mean, I just didn't. There was just so many other places that I had thought of, you know. And so when I got my call, I just remember um, that, you know, it used to, it comes in a white envelope, it used to, now it comes on an email, but, and I remember in the morning, the the mail had been delivered. And by that time, my younger sister was also at BYU and we had a class together. It was an English class kind of in the middle of the afternoon. And so the mission call came and I just took it out of the mailbox and put it in my backpack and went to class and carried it around with me all day because I was like, I don't want to open it. I'm so nervous. What is it going to say? Where am I going to go? Oh, that's self-control. And so I, I I got to class. I remember, and she, and I, and I looked at her and I, and you know, we didn't have cell phones. Like I couldn't text anybody. I got my call or anything. So I opened my bag and I just picked it out and showed her. And she was just like, what? (laughs) You know, and then we had a plan to open it that night with like on the phone with my parents. And so everybody came to the Italian restaurant after my shift and we got on a speaker call, I guess, is what we did. Yeah, a conference call. That's what people did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> speaker phone. <laughs> so, yeah, that was how I decided. And I'll say my mission was the hardest thing I've ever done. I did not have any idea when I became a missionary that you – that all you did was talk to people all day long. (laughs) I remember the first week I was just like, wow, we, all we do is talk to people. This is hard. Like, and you're constantly just trying to get to know people and ask questions and be interested. And I mean, it, 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 it was a, it was a skill that I really had to develop. And, um, but it was just so awesome and so hard. And, because well, I think you you would probably classify yourself as an introvert. Yeah. Yes, totally. I I like to talk to people, but I yeah. but I prefer to. But just it's kind of, kind of be home. Yeah. yeah. Yes, that's it. That's it. I think. Kind yeah, of that's the out. real thing. I mean, like sidetrack a little bit, but I agree with that thought process because I would identify as that being an introvert as well, and I remember a couple of people when I said that saying, "Well, it's." pretty rough that you're the bishop then and i'm like well hold up like i'm curious about people yeah but 
after I'm done talking to people all day, I I go home and crash. Yeah. Right. I'm not energized by it. Yeah, I was going to say, like, <laughs> right. I'm an introvert that likes to be extroverted. Right. Yeah. Like, I like to talk to people and be with people. And I have a lot of fun doing that. And then when I come home, I'm like, oh, I'm exhausted. I'm <laughs> yeah. Done. But, yeah. you know, and I know people that are totally extroverts, though. My brother's an extrovert. He talks to people and he's like energized all day. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that's not me. Yeah, and it really you do come it's by true. it honest. I mean, you're one or the other, pretty much, yes, yes, or maybe maybe a little bit of each, but yeah. So, but it 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 became something that you know, just was a part of me. I mean, I I think about my mission every single day, and I made so many. There was lots of my companions were from all over Africa, Madagascar, and um, Zimbabwe, and Nigeria, and. South Africa and just awesome, wonderful ladies that just a gift that I got to meet them and know them and continue to keep in touch with them. So what was the official like name of the mission that you were in? Uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. Can you tell us more about Johannesburg? Because it's an area of the world I don't really know much about. Yeah, there's um, a lot of different languages spoken there. There's 12 national languages. the two main ones, well, I mean, English is the one that sort of everybody does business in, you know, like, but to each other, they all have different dialects. Um, most of them are African dialects. And then, of course, there's Afrikaans, which is the Dutch derivative. So that's the one that most of the white people speak. But um, it's not the one that most black people prefer to speak. They have to learn it in school, but they don't like it. So that was an interesting, like if, if people ever wanted to speak Afrikaans, most of my companions who were, who were Africans were just like, Ugh. <laughs> it's an interesting language. Um, so it's Dutch derived or it's Dutch derived and it's very racist. So people that speak it generally are pretty racist. So it was just like, Ugh. <laughs> so it's a it's an interesting oh, yeah, I'll stay clear place. Of that one. Yeah. And I'm I'm curious to know how it is now there, you know. I mean, at the time, um, it wasn't super when I was there it was in 1999, it wasn't like super far after apartheid had ended. So there was still I mean, the you know, most of the Africans lived out in the townships, um, which were just like separate from the cities. They're not that far away from the cities, but they're far enough. And most of them come into work in the city and then go back and live in the, the township. Um, so that was hard because the sisters weren't allowed to serve in the townships, but those were really the strong wards. Those were the wards that were just thriving and growing and awesome. Um, the wards that we served in were mixed, but it was, you know, it's just a very racist country. And so it's tricky. It was very tricky to mix um, the races. And so it was just a, always a, an interesting um, experience to learn just kind of how to, how to navigate that. And I think often I would just be worried. Sometimes people would, you know, see the color of my skin and think I was automatically racist because it's just a really, really the politics there when I was there were complicated. And so I was just always trying to, um, just be Christ-like and love. And, you know, it was a, it was a really, really interesting cultural experience. Um, I served for five months in Botswana, which was also part of my mission, the country just right above South Africa. And that's a completely different experience. That country is just so different. You know, they just didn't live under the same law. They did not live under apartheid. And so the country itself has just 
it's just much more um, mixed. And um, so that was a really cool experience. I really enjoyed my five months there. Um, yeah. Any other questions about the mission? Yeah, actually. Um, <laughs> I think it was like two years ago, we were talking to some guy and he was explaining how he felt like there's like kind of three, three different types of missionaries or motivations for missionaries. Um, number one, it was just like, oh, this is like a check in a check, check box. Like I've been told, like, oh, you're going to start missing when you reach the Um, number two was like, yeah, your missionaries that their parents are like, I'll give you a brand new car, like pay for some tuition if you like, you know, go on your mission. Um, and then last was like the, what he was like calling like the Nephi missionary. Like mm. one was like, I'm going to go and do this, um, so like to serve my Lord. And I just want to know like maybe where you started off in that journey, maybe where you mm. ended like by the end of it, how your motivation changed and mm. like that perspective. That's a good question. I definitely saw all of those missions, missionaries on my mission. Like you could, you know, you could see definitely like those who were there because they really wanted to be there. They really wanted to grow and learn. Um, for me, I, because I had had such a strong spiritual experience, um, deciding to serve and it took, you know, it took me years to decide. I mean, cause I was already 21. Um, I do feel like I went out with with a with a um a desire just to serve and to learn and to grow and um I will say that I didn't have a really strong testimony of like the restoration um and that was something that came pretty strongly in the MTC in the missionary training center I had a really distinct experience which I think lots of missionaries do where they yeah. kind of go whoa what what I have I have to really know this in order to teach this and do I know this you know, and I had an, a a pretty difficult companion in the missionary training center that really didn't want to be there. She was like, just really. She ended up serving um her whole mission, but she had a really hard time, and it was hard for me to kind of understand. Well, why are you even here then? Like, <laughs> you don't have to be here. No. And so I, I had a, a moment too where I really had to decide, like, do I believe this? And I know that the Lord wants me here. And so after having that pretty spiritual experience, I feel like when I was there, I didn't question, like it wasn't, my parents didn't, you know, because it, it wasn't really a requirement for a sister to serve. It was really optional. Um, and there was no promise of anything once I got back. So um, but there were definitely times where I was just like, wow, this is hard. This is hard, <laughs> <laughs> but worth it. Totally worth it. So I don't know if I answered your question well, but it was oh, a great, shit. it was a great question. I wanted to know what kind of car you got. <laughs> I'm just, I'm <laughs> just kidding. When I got home. Oh. <laughs> Or the one I crashed on the mission. Right. <laughs> you crashed a car on the mission? Yeah. Okay, you have to tell that story now. Well, I they drive on the wrong side of the road there, you know? And so I, I had, didn't know. I sort of knew that. And it was a stick shift. I had never driven a stick shift. So the day I arrived, my luggage was lost. I had no luggage. And they told me, oh, yeah, you're going to go to this area, and it's five hours away. And your companion doesn't drive. <laughs> I was like, okay. So this old elder missionary got in the car with me and he was like, I'll just give you a little quick lesson, you know? And it was like, you know, one of the 
<laughs> one of the older missions, not like a like a senior missionary yeah. who is in charge of the cars. So he teaches, gives me like a five minute lesson on the stick shift, and it was on the other side, on the left right? Side. Yeah. And the only thing he said to me was, okay, sister, you're doing great. Just get on the other side of the road. (laughs) Just drift over into me. I was like, oh, yeah. So I didn't drive us to the area, the five-hour area, like this other sister did. And I was so nervous. But it was really our car. Like her mission, they, they were in our same apartment complex. But they were in a bike area. So we were the ones that had the car. And so I just had to learn how to drive it. And I think about two months and I totally hit, gotten, a, it was raining and I didn't really know what I was doing still. And yeah, I totally wrecked the car, but <laughs> it was fine. We kept, it was drivable. <laughs> then it's fine. <laughs> but I came home knowing how to drive a stick shift and on the other side of the road. So there you go. That was one thing I learned on my mission. <laughs> I've always wondered about that, actually. I, I wonder if I could just kind of naturally slide into that other lane or if it takes a while. It was a whole brain shift oh. for sure. Yeah. And then after, and then a, and then a brain shift back. Like my my family tells me that I was a terrible driver when I got home because I would ride the, I don't know what shoulder, but. <laughs> It'd be the right shoulder. The right. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Or maybe like, too close to the center line. Oh, don't, to don't be a backseat driver, right? <laughs> <laughs> Do any uh, people in particular stand out when you reflect back on your mission? Just people that you work with, companions or investigators? or Yes. Um, a sister named Evelyn Tala. She was in Botswana and... Um, she absolutely sacrificed everything to to join the church. She, the elders had found her, um, but she lived alone, and so they weren't able to teach her. So they came to us and said, "Well, if the rule was that we could keep teaching this lady, we would not pass her on to you because she is amazing." But we are gonna, you know, because you know they needed sisters to be in her home with her, and we. It was just such a gift that we just were able to start teaching her and she just absolutely loved the gospel and committed, you know, from day one. And she was older. And there's an interesting thing in Botswana where um, the women, so they typically live in these villages kind of outside the main cities, which we were in um, Gaborone, which is the capital city. That's mainly where the church was. But up north and um, mostly north, there were these villages, which is where people had their homelands and their their families and kind of the family um, home. And so many of the women would leave their children in the villages and come into town to work all week. So they would have a place in town and then they would have all their kids in the villages. So we would meet a lot of these women who were supporting their families um, by working this, Evelyn worked as a nurse in the hospital, but then every weekend she would go home to to be with her kids into the village. And so we never got to meet her kids, but she would tell us that she went home every weekend and she would try to be home on Sundays for church. That was hard, but she really wanted to be at church. But that was one of the tricky things about teaching some of these amazing people is that they weren't there on they weren't in town on Sundays. Anyway, she would go home. She would teach her kids everything she had learned all week for, about the gospel, and then she would be back. 
and um she her all of her kids ended up getting baptized and they have served missions and she serves in the temple and she is just one of those like dear ladies to me that I just I just love her so much so that was a real that was only one of many many people but she is ones that definitely stands out and she said you you said that she sacrificed a lot to become a member of the church yeah what? she had to give up um there was a man living in her house, a boyfriend, and uh, she had to kick him out. <laughs> Which she wasn't. She was actually fine with. It. <laughs> you know what? Fine. I've been thinking about. She was that. like, "Oh, I didn't yeah, really like him that much anyway." <laughs> but just, um, yeah, I guess I, maybe she didn't sacrifice a lot, but she definitely gave gave her life to Jesus. Like she absolutely just embraced it a hundred percent. And then, and then really just took it on to make sure that she taught her kids, you know, um, kind of on her own because the church wasn't up there in the village at the time. And so she just taught them until they could move into town with her. So that was cool. I've heard from some of her kids. (laughs) That's pretty cool. (laughs) So, yeah. That's really neat. And family has gone to the temple too. And mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't heard from them lately, but. Well, those are super neat experiences. And I, I feel like you learn a lot from somebody who just jumps in like that. Sometimes mm-hmm. I know I do. I, I feel like maybe sometimes if we grew up in the church, I know I've done this, you become a little bit numb to things at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you see somebody like that who really comes to know Christ um, and develops a relationship with him and just soars. It's an inspiration, I think. Mm-hmm. It makes me want to, you know, make a better effort myself. Um, I think you really can see that light in their countenance, you know, and um just just witnessing people that maybe that have decided to leave and then come back. It's like you see it, you that change in them, like being yeah. able to see them going from not having that relationship developed to developing that with Christ. Like it really does even physically change them. You just see that light come back. And I mean, they still have difficulties, but uh, they're so much happier. It's just really cool to watch that whole process. Tina, I want to hear from you. You got some questions for Christine as well. Yeah. I mean, I have the privilege of sharing a a Marco Polo group with Christine. So I get to hear a lot from her. But the thing that really interests me because she's been talking about this lately is is one of the things she put down here was still trying to figure out what you want to be when you grow up. So (laughs) I want to hear a little bit more about that because I love when she talks about it. So I was a psychology major at BYU and I thought I would go into counseling. But... um, when Jeff and I got married and I graduated and went to work, we kind of decided to put most of our focus on him getting further education. And so in order to be a counselor, I would have had to go back to school, which we chose not to do that. We chose not to have both of us in school at the same time, just for financial reasons. And then we started having children. So I chose to stay home. And so over the years, I've dabbled in many different um little side gigs <laughs> just to try to figure out just to have some hobbies and make mon- a little bit of money on the side. And I have a friend named Tara and she is the best example of this. Like she always is trying something new, volunteering something different, trying a new little 
um, something. And so I just try to be like her and like, I call, we're like, what are you doing right now? What, what kind of things? And then I get ideas. And so my main goal has always been, okay, I'll volunteer a lot of places. And then that way I'm not committed to any kind of a job. <laughs> mm. I'm not ready to go back to full-time work. Um, I've really enjoyed being home with my kids all these years, but I know that that time is coming to an end soon in about six years. And so I'm trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> so I've, I volunteered in the schools. I decided that's not really for me. I volunteered at a kitchen. I love to cook, but I don't think I really want to be like a chef or work in a restaurant. And so now I've recently um, been volunteering at Green Hill Humane Society and um, started working in the, well, volunteering in the kennel, just um, cleaning the dog dishes and picking up poop. And then I eventually, uh, there came a spot open in the surgery suite. And I love watching veterinarian shows <laughs> like a big nerd. And so <laughs> I volunteer over there now four hours a week, and it is fascinating. So that might be something that I look into. But for now, I'm just volunteering. <laughs> what, what are some of the side gigs that you do right now? Um, so I've had an Etsy shop for about 12 years. So that's something that I've done. Um, what do you do on Etsy or what do you sell? I sew like canvas bags, like for shopping and lunch taking. And then during the pandemic, lots and lots and lots of masks. <laughs> I mean, like in the thousands. It was an interesting thing. Etsy, when the pandemic first began, they sent out an email that was like any person that could make and sell masks, this is when to do it, you know, cause they're just, there was a, it's, it's hard to imagine now back then, but you literally couldn't get one, but everybody needed one, Sure, you know, all yeah. of a sudden. And so that was really an interesting experience during the pandemic. I would wake up, I would have like 15 orders, sew them all, ship them all out the six o'clock PM, do it all over again the next day. And so it was just it was a great way to kind of spend the time and sew. And I spent so much time at my sewing machine. So I love to sew. So I do that. And then I um, I walk dogs. It's another side gig and take care of people's cats. So um, ironically, I, I, I grew up very scared of dogs. I was scared of dogs pretty much until I was in my 40s. <laughs> it's really weird. We never had a dog. Um, we had scary dogs that lived on our street. And so I just was scared to death of all dogs. And my mom never really did much about it. She didn't try to do any sort of like exposure therapy or anything. She would just kind of, Oh, if you have a dog, can you put the dog away before we get there? You know? And they would like, anyway, I was one I of those crazy kids dogs. that screamed. <laughs> I would scream bloody murder if I saw a dog. I mean, that's the kind of crazy person that I was as a kid. But um, about, I don't know, let's see, six years ago, I was still kind of scared of dogs. <laughs> and I kept having all these thoughts to, that our family needed to get a dog. Sister Ennis actually one time said, um, I was talking to her about some struggles that I was worried about my kids. And she's like, well, you just need to get a dog. And uh, my kids had been begging for a dog for years. And I was always like, no, no dog. And then we ended up that that was the moment where I was like, oh, that's a great idea. 
And so Jeff has immediately found us a dog. We bought the dog. It came the next like two months later. And so you know, we did, we did a puppy. Had Jeff been wanting a dog for <laughs> yeah, a while? Yeah, he'd always wanted a dog. And Please. I was the holdout because I was scared of dogs. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, that dog changed my life in every way that you can change. Like now I basically spend all day with dogs and cats. <laughs> so that's one of my side gigs. It's really fun. I love it. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, Kirstine tried to talk me into a dog one time. It didn't, didn't happen, though. <laughs> didn't work? What's no, your? it was a good talk. Did but... you sell her pretty good on it? or? It was the same thing. Your kids need a dog. Uh, I, think, I think I told this on the podcast that hasn't come out yet. Yeah, I, I feel like there's three or four things from your mom's podcast, Tina, that I already like want to reference yeah yeah but it hasn't come out yet so nobody will know what we're talking about it was your mom how fun yeah it was fun yeah we're doing a mother's day thing like three or four interviews that's so cool future release stay tuned sweet a little (laughs) foreshadowing yeah Yeah. spoiler alert okay so you already told that story i did tell that story it's a good story though she wasn't convinced (laughs) no uh, you had me sold, but uh, Naya wasn't convinced in the end. <laughs> Naya doesn't want a dog. No, she is totally afraid of dogs. Ah, she's me. <laughs> well, she like she needs exposure therapy. Were you? She yeah. saw our dog. That's why. Well, she was not she was afraid of sh- dogs when she was little, and she was starting to get like okay, comfortable with it until your dog bit her. Yeah. So now oh, you're talking. She's digressed now. Yeah, <laughs> which I feel terrible for still, but like. I just remember yeah. getting the call. It's not a good first was, dog to meet. Yeah, I was at Autzen Stadium <laughs> doing the singing for that the Garth Brooks concert. Oh yeah. And Camille calls me. She's I like, that. Uh, no. "Oh no, my dog bit night." How did you get over your? I was fear like, of put dogs. some glue on it. I honestly have no idea. I think because my uncle adopted a dog, but like start off with like a cute little puppy, and then he got that dog. Mm. And it's just like slow exposure to that, especially because it was like. A puppy, but it's still a larger puppy because it can be a larger dog. Thanks so much energy and just jumping on you all the time, scratching mm-hmm. on you. So I just kind of got used to it that way. But I totally used to hear them and my skis are telling me over the top of someone learning to us, which is uh, interesting. But I always was like, oh, allergic to dogs. And I remember one time my mom came pick me up and they were like, oh, we didn't know what's in that allergy dog. And I was like, no, it's just changing my I can see your mom saying that too. Yeah. And then we we have a dog in the dog. Um a small kind of white dog. Just you know, <laughs> but we I let's let it on my dad. He totally like kind of just got a dog out of nowhere last June and my mom was not. It's a classic dad. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> what so what about what about dogs? What about cats, Christine? What what does that do for you? Oh gosh. I just it's like it opened up a part of my heart that I had like sealed off for some reason. Um I just I don't know. I see animals now they just they they need us, but we need them so much more. They give us like they recognize our energy. They give us back what we need. I just, I don't know. I love, um, I love being outside. And so that's why I love, like, it's, it's, it's actually an interesting thing. I used to be like 
oh gosh, it's raining, you know. And now that I've been walking dogs for four years, I my original thought was when I started walking the dogs, like I can't really care about the weather because dogs don't care about the weather and dogs always want to go for a walk. And so if I'm going to be a dog walker, I have to just go out in the rain and in the snow and in the whatever wind, you know, because the dogs don't care. And so it's really taught me kind of just like being able to adapt. Um, oh, I just love to like, I've learned all these different new neighborhoods. I've met so many amazing people, like everybody that hires me to walk their dog. They're just really great. Some of them, I don't ever meet the people. It's like, I just show up at their house and I get their dog and I leave. But some people they're disabled. Um, they have health problems that they want to have a dog, but they can't take the dog for a walk. And so I've developed this really amazing relationship with some of these, not only their dogs, but their, but the, the women who I walk their dogs. So it's been a really interesting, um, the entire process has been such a gift. Like it was, I, I remember distinctly, um, kind of a really that strong prompting that I received. It was like, yep, this is something you need to do. And it sounds so strange, but heavenly father really used our dog, Annie to change my heart in a million ways. And, and to just open me up to like realizing that I can change and people can change. And, um, you can, I don't know. This is my final statement is I like myself better as a dog person. (laughs) (laughs) I just am a better person. I think now that I've finally figured out how to love and open my heart to animals. And I feel sad that I spent so many years thinking I hated them. And you feel there are some ways that having dog, having Annie (laughs) opened your heart up and changed it. It, What are some of the ways you've noticed? Well, I love how every single person in my family has a unique relationship with her and they never get sick of her ever. Every time we walk in the door, she's there to greet us. Every single one of us, every single person in my family is happy to see her and it puts, puts them in a better mood. And so I've loved watching the relationship that, that they have with her. And we also have a cat and they have the same relationship with the cat. She, everybody's just, except for Owen, he does not like our cat. (laughs) He doesn't want anything to do with her. But um, our cat was got really, really sick this Christmas, um, almost died. She's really young. She's only four, but she ate a bird, and the bird had salmonella, and she got very, very sick. For She didn't eat anything for 10 days, and it was heartbreaking for our family. I think we didn't realize how much we love her, and we just tried to get her better, and she had a miraculous recovery. Um Lots and lots of prayers. It felt so silly to pray for this little kitty just over and over in our whole family. They're all big cat people. And they were like, how's Kit Kat? How's Kit Kat? And, but it's just so, I think what I love what it's done for our family. Mm. So, and for me personally, but I really love what that's done for our family. So, yeah, Yeah, we can sympathize with sick cats for sure. Although our oldest son is allergic. So we're, we're done with cats now, but (laughs) I remember our pediatrician, Dr. Wynn, uh, I think she was from Vietnam, but I remember talking with her and Camille in the office and she said, when cat died, do not replace. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because of his allergy. <laughs> because of his allergy. <laughs> um, but I love the conversation because it's kind of an epiphany that I came to lately, last couple of years. 
I always thought when you approach 40, you're just kind of who you are, right? And what I'm learning now, 39, going on 40, is we can adapt. We can learn new things. And if if there was something we wanted to, a skill or something we wanted to learn early in life, we can do it now. Mm-hmm. There are seasons in our life where we have more opportunity to do things and grow that maybe we couldn't when we were starting to just raise little kids. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, what do you guys think about that? Especially if you're open to the spirit, especially if you like are really willing to kind of hear a nudge, hear a hear something, you know, feel it, feel it over and over, like, what? Really? Okay. And and, and go down that road. Because I think when you go down that road, that the spirit prompts you, this, you know, this is gonna make you a better version of yourself and you're willing to listen to that. I think that you just don't have any idea what God has in store for you at any age. You know, that's my experience with it. Yeah. I mean, Christine's really good at that too. Like the hearing the spirit and being like, oh yeah, that's a prompting. And I'm like, have I been experiencing that? I don't even know. I don't know. But I mean, I agree with you too. I think there's a lot of things that I've picked up and and started to learn, you know, just as I've gone along the way. And I kind of thought the same thing too. Like, well, I I have to pick the right career in college because, you know, that's, that's who I'm going to be. And um, it's interesting because I, I don't, I don't teach in the schools. Like that's not what I do. Um, obviously I get to use my skills all the time cause I teach seminary, but, um, it's been really fun learning other things, you know, like mm-hmm. I've done a little bit of woodworking. I, I really enjoy doing that. I've, I've done a little bit of gardening and that's really interesting. I've got into beekeeping for a while. I don't keep bees, but I was really interested by the subject and learned a lot about it. And, and I think that, um, I think that the Lord does push us in directions, mm-hmm. even if we don't recognize it as such. But I think like he wants us to learn. He wants us to know more things and and do more things and and just keep developing. And well, the, think of oh, go ahead. Oh, go, no, you go. Well, ahead. Ha, think of how we do that for our kids, right? Yeah. We're like, hey, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? Why don't you try this? And <laughs> yeah. you know, they kids are so open to stuff like that. Like, okay, sure, I'll try that. Or they're like, no, I don't want to do that. You know, <laughs> and then you keep saying, but I think you'd be good at that. You know, yeah. we just want them to be involved. And I, I just can't help but think, of course, our heavenly parents are doing the same thing for us. Right. You know, they right. can see the like all the things that we have in store. And so, if we're just willing. To just be open to it and try it, you know, and see if it's if it's a good fit. And sometimes it isn't. You move on, you know. It doesn't matter. Oh, what a cool whoops. That's a cool way of thinking of that. I I'll address promptings a little bit more in that way now. Like, okay, you're probably right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe that would be good for me. Yeah. I think the cool part about promptings, well, it's exciting and it's it's scary too, is yeah. that they come, but it usually doesn't come with a detailed kind of diagram of how it's going to work out for you it's more you should try this and you're just going to figure out what that means later mm-hmm. <laughs> as you go yeah. really right like step by step and again that the it doesn't it isn't like you get one prompting and that's it they're like okay good job now here's here's okay try this next you know yeah. i mean we got a dog and then like a year later my friend tara started walking dogs and i was like i could do that <laughs> That's a, that's a way to earn some income and go outside and I'm like, well, I'll try it, you know, and four years later, here I am with like four, you know, four different dogs every day. So it is amazing when you look back in hindsight and if you give all the credit to God, 
and you just say, thank you for molding me into that person. And I know sometimes I'm resistant to those things or I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. Like, just keep trying. Okay. Here's maybe presented in a different way, you know, but when you keep thinking the same thing over and over, I've learned to believe that absolutely that's God kind of pushing me, nudging me, not pushing me, pushing me isn't really the right word, nudging, encouraging, inviting, you know, showing me a way that will help me be my best self. So. I'm glad you pointed it out like that because I didn't really think about like all those things that pique my interest or maybe those are promptings. Like I didn't really think about 100% that hundred percent they are. Because like yeah. if I get excited about something, like I'm going to hit it hard for a little while and then I'm going to get excited about something else. And like I can see now looking backwards how a lot of those things were for sure from the spirit. And I didn't really think about it that way. It's a good way to think about it is like those are the nudgings. Like if it keeps coming mm-hmm. back to you, mm-hmm. that's the Lord going, hey, maybe you should try this. You might be good at this. Yeah, he's the most creative, like, you know, they they created the world or the everything. And so the creator of the world nudges you to do something creative or something that's, you know, will help you learn. Like, listen, it's the best person to tell you that. I when think you that's, said, yeah, go ahead. You said Tina. something really interesting earlier today in our Marco Polo about this too, where you said maybe he, because you said you volunteered in the schools and it was like really obvious that that's not what you want to do. And you thought, why would I feel so prompted to go do that if it wasn't what I was supposed to do? Or like you walked in somewhere. Tell that story about where you walked in somewhere and you just like walked back out. Well, I thought I wanted to be in the ho- work, volunteer in a hospice center. I, I just was like, well, that sounds cool because I it was yeah. like the social work. I thought, well, this is a way maybe to pursue like my interest in social, like the social sciences. And so I set up an interview with the volunteer coordinator. It was out at the, I can't remember the name of that place by Camp Harlow. And I was just so excited about it for a couple of weeks. And then I showed up and she kind of explained what we would be doing. And I was like, uh-uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it, I just realized nope. immediately like, no, that's like, just not something that I felt like I got so much anxiety immediately about it. And I just thought, okay. So then I thought, why did I get so excited about that? But sometimes I think that you get a prompting and you go that direction to see that that's not the direction you actually want to (laughs) go. I I think sometimes that's how the Lord works. He helped, he shows you something and then you, 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 you always have your agency, but he shows you something and you get to decide, and they're like, okay, cool. But at least you know now that that is not the direction for you, you know? Because sometimes you have to go down that road see that, to see you don't do that. that you have to yeah. turn back around and be like, no. Well, I would think about how much time you could have invested into that. Like, if you went all the way through schooling, but not really had that experience in the, like, right. real situation and not right. know, like, you would have had all that time that you're like, wait, why did I even do that? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think he puts things in our way that are like you're actually probably not going to like this. So I'm going to show you right now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you take a different direction. Well, there was a, like a conference talk about that where he was, they were trying to decide which way to go. Should they go right or left? And they felt really strongly they should go left. And then it was a dead end. And like, why would, why would God tell us to go left? Well, cause you would always be wondering, Yeah, you know, if you didn't see that it was a dead end, you would have always wondered like, did we go the right way? Yeah. Huh. I love that actually. I think that's a lot how God works. I'll have to reflect on that one some more. That's it's pretty deep, actually. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, Lexi, what do you want to talk about? I saw you writing down some notes. Love doodles. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I like doodles. Everybody likes to doodle on our show notes. It's true. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I kind of wanted to hear about um just like a quick little thought. You said that you like 
you have been wishing that you could have daughters or had daughters. <laughs> I just want to know, like, um, first of all, what growing up was like. Um, I mean, you mentioned that you had two sisters. I don't know, like, how many other siblings you had or um, guys or girls. But maybe how that influenced what you envisioned for your family um, and how you learned to, like, that's a great question. I, I actually, yeah, I, I have, there's four girls in my family and one boy. So there, we grew up in a house of mostly girls. And my brother, he kind of lived at the complete opposite end of the house in this little teeny room we called the cheese box. <laughs> and he was kind of an, he kind of just did his own thing. So, and he's quite a bit younger than me. So I really grew up with just a bunch of girls. And um, I remember when I, my, we lived in Salt Lake, my cousin lived there and she got married to a guy who came from a family of five boys. And I remember meeting his mom and just thinking, wow, that's a really crazy life. You have no girls, all boys. And I I remember Mm -hmm. distinctly thinking that would be like, please don't, that's not my story. (laughs) That was your first mistake. I just was like, no, that is so crazy. And so Every single time that I, we, I would be pregnant, right? I'd be like, oh, maybe this one's a girl. And no, 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 four times. And I remember when I was pregnant with Thomas and I would be in the grocery store with, you know, the three boys and me and they'd see my belly and people would always say, oh, just tell me that one's a girl. And they'd be like, nope. No. <laughs> but I'm just, it really was just, if, like that was the answer. What could I, if I, if I regret anything in my life, my, my regret is that I, that I just, you know, would ever even say that to people like, oh, I just know or just keep trying for a girl. Because really, I'm just so thankful for my boys. I'm so thankful yeah. for my family. I know that each one of those boys has given, been given to me as a gift. As I mean, I'm just, uh, I loved what Hillary said about how we're just the stewards mm-hmm. like yeah. of our children. That was a really great thought. And we are, we're just, we, we get to s- spend, you know, just a little bit of time with them in our homes we get to do our best and love them and and support them and do what we can and then send them out into the world and i'm just grateful for all of them so i'm very happy to join the ranks of that lady mm-hmm. <laughs> with all boys well, if you ever need a few girls to borrow you do yeah. their hair and and do their makeup i got 3 emma would love to come over and play with your dog and your cat so yeah. she's game and my chickens i think the other thing is you know i for me, having all boys too, um, although we stopped at two because we we're like, what's the point? It's just going to keep going. This <laughs> yeah, <way."> totally. <laughs> but um, it it gives me different appreciation for my nieces mm-hmm. and young women that I get to work with. I think you still have an opportunity for those relationships. And like, I love my nieces. I I love the young women that we serve with. Like, it's awesome. And I feel like I maybe enjoy that more than I otherwise would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it's a whole different perspective. And sometimes I feel sad for my boys that they're not g- growing up with any women. Like <laughs> you guys are really going to be in, like have a <laughs> rude awakening. <laughs> but, you know, everybody has to learn. <laughs> well, I think the Lord has a sense of humor. Because I grew up with all brothers and was definitely like super tomboy. Yeah, look at you and with all your girls. girls now. But when Brooke was born and all she wanted to do was play dolls and stuff, I was like, I don't I don't even know how to do that. <laughs> but she's still like, how do you do this makeup thing? I'm like, there's YouTube. It's over there. Yeah. I, I don't even own any makeup. I have no idea. 
But I still <laughs> sometimes just say to my family, I am such a misfit in this family. <laughs> like there are just moments where, and I don't know, maybe, maybe Camille can relate, where you're just like, I mean, what, what am I even There's doing here? Yeah. In this room. <laughs> Uh, that's when I go in my room and shut the door. You're the balance, Crystal. (laughs) Just do what they want. (laughs) I wanted to talk a little bit about seminary. Um, You said that one of the things you're most interested in learning about right now is the life of Christ. And I actually, do you guys listen to the Follow Him podcast? Mm -hmm. One, One interesting thing, I think it was John, by the way, or Hank Smith, one of the two, they mentioned, you know, we're kind of taught who Jesus is, especially if we grew up in the church through primary kind of those little felt cutouts and everything mm-hmm. like that. And and we're told this is Jesus and this is what he's like. And they mentioned a book, I forgot, but it's it was written by a journalist who actually kind of wrote a book as if he were investigating the life of Christ. Mm-hmm. And and it, it, I think it was titled The Jesus You Didn't Know or or something like that. And um, it, the basic premise they were getting to is that coming to know Jesus yourself and not being told who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wonder, you know, has, has that been part of the process for you and, and what it's been like learning about his life? Yes, this year... Um, getting receiving this calling, first of all, teaching half of the old, you know, the second half of the Old Testament and now the New Testament. I feel like we got to know when you're, it's just an interesting thing to be given a calling to teach seminary. I heard someone say it's a little bit like, like being called to go to the gym every day. <laughs> like that's your calling because basically the, the assignment is study the gospel every day so that you can then therefore teach it. And and and, it's, and you're studying the gospel in a very different way. You're studying it um, first of all to so that so that it's part of you, so you're comfortable teaching it, but then also trying to figure out how to make it relatable to the, to your students every day. Well, four days a week. <laughs> we, we're not doing five like some of our like our seminary teachers did, but and so especially um, getting to know Jehovah in the Old Testament was just amazing. Was a gift. Um, like I'd never studied some of those books in the Old Testament before, you know, in all my 45 years. But now studying the New Testament to teach it every single day, not every day. I, sh- I team teach with Sarah Sperry, so shout out to Sarah. We take turns. But I still am studying in a way that I am trying to really just get to know him better and get to know the timeline and – um I just am so thankful for him in the, such a different, I just feel like it took me these, all these many years to, to learn this in, in, in this way, but I'm grateful for the calling of a seminary teacher because, um, I don't know. I just feel like I can't, I, I'm just so excited every day to like learn more about him. And I'm thankful that we're in the New Testament, you know, and we're literally mm. studying his dialogue and his actions and his miracles and his parables. And um, so, yeah, I really, really am thankful for that calling. And it's such a great experience to study the gospel every single morning with a group, even a sleepy group. Yeah. <laughs> it really is the best way to start the day as as much of a sacrifice that is it is to get up. And I know Lexi does and Tina does yeah. and 
all the students, I just really admire them for doing that. So, yeah. I, one thing I've felt for a while now that's important and trumps pretty much anything else is helping young people to know that Jesus knows them, mm-hmm. that he knows their name, um, that he cares about them individually. How do you accomplish that? Mm. I just, that's a great question because I sometimes, especially at the beginning, I mean, this is only my, I'm not even through the first year of this calling. And I, Tina knows that I have just felt so much pressure to, to do that. And what I've realized is it's really not up to me to do it. It's mm. just as long as I'm prepared as long as I'm following the promptings, as long as I have the spirit when I'm preparing and have the spirit, pray for the spirit, you know, as we're discussing it, the spirit just, it's absolutely his job to, to yeah. convince and to, to teach and to, to, um, inspire. So thankfully we have that. Can you imagine? Yeah. It's gotta be kind of hard to teach other subjects because you don't really have that as much. I mean, you can, of course, you can pray for your students to learn anything and God wants everybody to learn everything, but he especially wants us to learn about Jesus and the role and the personal relationship that we can have with him. So I'm just, I'm serving, like I got two seminary teachers here. Like (laughs) what do you you think, Tina? Like (laughs) which part? part I just like helping people get to know like that Jesus sees them individually yeah um being a summary teacher like christine was saying is it is really different um when we were going into spring break i was like i'm kind of excited to study for myself this week and not you know be thinking so much bigger and um but also at the same time like during the week i realized like i kind of miss studying for other people um but what i've been learning so much is is exactly what you're talking about is is that love that jesus has for all of us. And I think I knew it, but I'm learning it more. Um, And just being able to talk about that with the students and to see them make the applications um, from the scripture to be like, oh, this is how this applies in my life. And, And for them to make those connections and to see, you know what, Jesus really is with me all the time. And he does walk with me and, and I can walk with him. And, and just to to feel that I think is pretty incredible. Um, I think just being in seminary is the best way yeah, to learn that, right? Like, because yeah. I don't think they learn as much from us as they learn from each other. So yeah, actually being in that room, they they talk about that in my class all the time. I really love it when the kids in, in the class share because I learn so much from them and and I can relate, you know, where they're coming from and. And so just being able to, I think my favorite way is just providing that space yeah. where they can talk about Jesus and to say, hey, he loves me. Look at this scripture. This is what it says. And he really does offer that to me. Yeah, I, I like that. I think what you're both saying and I'm understanding is the burden is taken off us quite a bit. Mm-hmm. It's part of taking his yoke upon us, too, I think, is that he, he says, I'll show up for these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They'll figure it out. <laughs> but you show up, too. Yeah. Like you show but up you with. To yeah, show up first. yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's that same concept that um, Elder Uchtdorf was talking about. It's the daily bread, right? Yep. It's daily. I mean, I, I was a Sunday school teacher for a long time, gospel doctrine. And I so I taught like 
the New Testament and the Old Testament, but it was different to teach it only once a week. And now if you're a Sunday school teacher, you teach it every other week. So, but now when you're teaching it every single day, when you're in the scriptures every day, trying to, you know, prepare that soil for them and just allowing, like Tina said, for everybody to teach each other, it's just like, can be magic. It's such a special experience seminary. I know it's hard for sometimes the students to keep coming every day. And this has been a tough, cold winter that we've had. It's been dark and rainy and cold, but I'm so impressed with the kids that just continue to come and are willing to share and teach and learn. And it's really a gift. It is tough. What keeps you coming back, Lexi? Yeah. That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. There's been, it's definitely been a lot of different things at different times. Um, I'd say recently, it was like a lot of when my mom stopped putting that pressure, Lexi, I'm going to force you to go Mm. and making it more of a, like, at the end of the day, this is your decision, this is your habit to build. And I just, also, it was something that your husband said, Tina, he was talking to us after finals week and he's like, oh, so none of you guys went to town? And then we were all like, uh, No. (laughs) And then he was like, so you guys missed out on like that, that one thing that like core foundation that could have like really built up your day. And I just like, he, he was so right about that. And it feels like my days are totally different when I start that day with seminary, with the gospel, with prayer, just with having like some sort of like, um, I don't know, just like the spirit of that day. It makes that day so much better for me uh, and it feels a lot easier so i just think knowing that difference and i i intend not on going to seminary next final week <laughs> <laughs> but it was it's just like small stuff like that and finding that motivation for myself and like one really sweet thing this morning was my mom we always we carpool and on the mornings that she drives um the girls get out and then we have a prayer together really quick and this morning she prayed and she was um, saying thank you that Lexi was able to finally make it here this morning. I was like, that's just, oh. just that's <laughs> good to hear that it was like, it's on me and it's because of you guys. And I appreciate that. So oh, that. that's like <laughs> when it becomes your own choice, it's just so much more meaningful. I really like yeah. that. That's really, I, I really needed to hear that actually, Lexi, because sometimes I just think they don't want to come, but you know, it's, you do. I, I went to early morning seminary for four years. And so I keep looking back on like, why did I go to seminary now that I'm a teacher, right? It's different. I have this different sort of desire to be there, but man, I thought I, I've, I've really had to reflect on that. Like, why did I go all those years? But it was that it was, I remember the difference you know, that you felt when you didn't go, like, you know, you slept in or you just were too tired or you had, you know, or there wasn't seminary that day or whatever. Just, it felt so strange to just show up at school. And I was like, something's weird. And it is a distinct feeling, but you do have to kind of take time to notice it and to notice when you don't have it, you know? Well, I wonder like, what are Mondays like for you? Cause we don't <laughs> currently don't have seminary on Mondays. Can, can you tell the difference or is that not enough time of not being there? I don't know. Mondays are a weird exception. 
I agree. Yeah. For us, it's Wednesday. I'm like, it's, tomorrow it's we need the one day to, yeah. You've packed it in for four days, so. Yeah. You know, built up. That's like, true. I'm just going to school because, like, what else would be? Right, yeah. yeah. It's but, true. Like, on those days where I see Bennett, like, I just feel so guilty. And I, I was actually rereading my text the other day, like, just by accident. And I reread one in specific that said, like, someone asked me how my day was. And I was like, it was okay, but I didn't go to center this morning and it started to get off on, like, a really bad note. And I feel like it, like, made the difference. Mm. And Interesting. I was like, That's, so true. That's, I, yeah, I totally see that it's like you taught yourself. You did. <laughs> That's kind of cool. That's why we journal, right? That's texting yeah. is the new journal. Yeah. Well, I love to hear the students pray for each other. Mm. If, if oh. you could just hear their prayers for each other, that would be enough. Like yeah. they will just pray these prayers together in the morning. And I'm just like, well, we could just leave. Like that was worth <laughs> coming for. So that's really special. I'm thankful to be a part of that. I think, yeah, we we touched on a couple of things that are special about this generation that have been coming up as themes. I, I think one of them is just that maturity to make decisions for themselves mm-hmm. um, and caring about each other and loving each other. Um, but anything else that you've noticed that's just special about this generation as you've been working with youth? It's mm-hmm. a good question. Well, they, uh, yes, they, they, they're very justice minded. And I love that about this youth, this generation. I think that that's important. Um, They like things to be fair. And I think they're going to, they're willing to work for it. They're willing to ask questions and wrestle with it in order for things to be, for the gospel to be available to everyone. And I really am grateful to watch that happen and to see that, see like, because um, it's, it's, it's a little bit of um, cognitive dissonance sometimes to be justice minded, but also to have a strong testimony of the gospel yeah. because there's, you know, and, and um, I'm just, I love watching these youth wrestle with that and come out on the side of Jesus because Jesus is incredible he's he is justice and he is mercy right he is both and so when you are able to partner with him in your struggle and make Mm. sure that you stay with him and yoke with him you're gonna come out on the right side and they're just gonna do amazing things for the world because of it i love that and one of the things i actually heard recently was that i loved is (laughs) there's nothing wrong with justice like Mm -mm think of all the wrongs that happen in the world um you know children that are abused um terrible things that happen in our world justice remedies that Mm -hmm. it it takes care of all the terrible things that happen in our world justice is good Mm -hmm. um and the fact that our young people care about those issues so deeply i i think it's both a wonderful thing and i think it challenges us in our generation um, to be really thoughtful mm-hmm. um, about our worship and our and try to think critically mm-hmm. about things that we might have just mindlessly kind of walked over, you know. Absolutely. I also think we can get a glimpse into how God feels about this generation by looking at the new first strength of youth. I think that he he absolutely trusts this generation to make good choices and to to wrestle with it and to come 
you know, to recognize the why behind all of it. And so I think we need to get on board and, and see like, this is an amazing generation of, of youth that's going to do amazing things. And God absolutely trusts them to do it. Yeah. So I think they're super good at actually realizing that, that there are injustices, but that Jesus fulfills the justice. Yeah. Part, right. Exactly. Like, so they can see that things are unfair, like you were saying, and they're concerned about that. But I've noticed in my class, a lot of times the students, like, I don't have to prompt them. The first thing they say is, but Jesus will take care of that. Mm -hmm. Like he satisfies that justice if we're willing to let him in. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow, because they blow me away every mm -hmm. day. Like just putting that two and two together, like he is the answer to everything. I think that that's been said in our class multiple times. Like, well, what's the answer to this? And they're like, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they really get how um, he can, that power of the, of the atonement and that the uh, the authority that that gives him to act as justice, mm -hmm. and that we as humans we it mess right. it all up. Like he would, <laughs> yeah. if you really going back to studying his life, he was always in the margins. He was always with the marginalized. He was always with the downtrodden, the downcast, the people who didn't feel like they fit in. He was the one that reached out to them, and it was always one person at a time. Yeah. His his. His ministry is so nuanced and so unique and so audacious that when you really take time to see him as who he really is, you'll see that the human, the, the, we're the ones that mess it all up. Like yeah. we just have to keep our eyes on how he does it and then just try to emulate that one by one. You know? He fills in all the gaps. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Tina, anything else you want to talk to Christine about? Um. I feel like I've been so serious. No, it's been, it's been good though. <laughs> I, haven't even, so I good. never, I didn't clear up the names of my children. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Camille texted that. me that. Okay, James is our oldest. He is 19. Owen <laughs> is next. He's 17. Henry is next. He's 13, almost 14. And Thomas, <laughs> not Owen, Thomas is our youngest, and he is almost 12. There you go. <laughs> I just like thinking that I made him nervous. <laughs> he didn't even know it. We had to point it out to him <laughs> after listening to the podcast. <laughs> well, I'd, I'm on the record saying I texted your husband and asked if there's anything that he would ask that you would never think to mention, like, in your questionnaire, but... He didn't, he he didn't, didn't reply. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, not that he's like busy being the stake president. <laughs> no. uh, what kind of food do you like to cook? Mm, I love crop. cooking Indian food. Oh, yes. I love pickling any vegetables. That's a big hobby of mine. Um, I love condiments like pickled condiments. Um, I like to cook. Um, I love, I had a big thing during the pandemic where we cooked Indian food once a week. That was really fun. We tried a bunch of different things. Wait, so. wait, do you like it spicy? Oh, yes. Really? I love spicy. Ooh. Spicier the better. Can and I've kind of converted my family yeah. into the, with spicy food. <laughs> so I prefer things that are um, multi-layered, you know, like layers of food. I love, I love lentils and rice. And I really kind of go to towards like ethnic food, Thai food, uh, Indian food, 
you know, American food, it's fine, but it's kind of boring. <laughs> hot dogs and hamburgers. What is American food, really, besides hot dogs and hamburgers? Uh, Twinkies? Do Twinkies count? I mean, yeah, it's a lot of kind of weird, boring food, if I'm being honest. <laughs> There's no, like... Do we, do we get claim on all of the Utah casseroles too? I, I feel like I think that's we gotta be American, that. right? Yeah. No other country sure. would do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean I t- we, we, I cook that, but it's not my favorite thing to eat. Putting <laughs> putting raisins in random stuff. I think we take credit for that, right? Yeah, I, think no. probably, I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of like uh like Moroccan, they use a lot of raisins, that kind of Middle Eastern. Oh, so we don't so even So I don't I don't know if we, we Yeah, no, that's that delicious. One. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so we 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 do like to cook, and I I am a bit of a news junkie, so I do like watching the news every day. <laughs> you don't stress out watching the news. I don't. I stress out when I don't watch it. I really like to be informed. <laughs> so I'm a total nerd. <laughs> Where does that come from? Is that a kind of did you grow up that way or? Yeah, no? I do. I, we didn't watch a lot of TV at our house, but like a couple of things that you could always watch that you never got in trouble for were the news and sports. Yeah. And I love both of those a lot now. And so I don't know. Uh, I, I get it. We For us, it was science shows. Oh, really? <laughs> Oh, Bill, not a science. You guy. could always watch it without getting in trouble. Yep. Yeah, but any other time you turn on the TV in our house, it was like turn off the TV, <laughs> unless it was the news or sports. <laughs> yeah, Christine keeps me informed because I don't ever turn on the news. So we always we when we have conversations, she's my balance. <laughs> She'd be like, "Yeah, but did you know about this?" And I'm like, "I did not know about that." <laughs> oh, interesting. It's good. It keeps me on my toes. I thought it was good to have somebody like that. Yeah. Thanks, Tina. Your favorite color is gray. <laughs> I'm wearing it today. <laughs> is that even a color? <laughs> I, yeah, it's a I color. Think, I don't know how to answer that. I guess. It is a color. I do like blue. I'm a big BYU fan. I had to throw that in. <laughs> oh, thank Coops. you, Christine. That's cool. <laughs> we could do the fight song if you want. Well, I am alumni. <laughs> <laughs> they make you learn the fight song like the first day. Oh, yeah. Is that true? We sing it in our house. Oh, yeah. I taught Andrew when he was a baby. He knows it. <laughs> oh, did she what? graduate from BYU? I didn't know that. And she never taught you the fight song? Amelia. Okay, she, you, she'll teach you tonight. I will text her. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening tonight. <laughs> Maybe it's the, if you're both. Well, no, but Alan didn't go there. I was like, if both of your parents went to BYU, you have no choice to yeah, have to like learn sure. the fight song. But maybe if only mm-hmm. one of them, like your dad wins or something. Did he? He didn't go there. No, we're going to say it in the end. Oh. Did you know the University of Oregon has words to their fight song? I had no idea. I knew that. Yeah. I didn't know until I graduated. I was like, there's words to this? <laughs> I thought it was just a song. You want to ask that question? <laughs> I just had my youngest walk by and showed me a question. What was the question? Do you want to ask it? Yeah, come ask me. Okay, you, you can come up this? here. You can come up here. Okay, so what is your opinion on Taylor Swift? <laughs> <laughs> it had to come out. <laughs> I'm just going to end this episode and probably say we didn't even talk about her. Oh, busted. I love her, but I'm kind of late to the game. So I am kind of a late enjoyer of her. But I do really enjoy her last album, except for all the explicits. But yeah, (laughs) I like her first album a lot. I haven't got much past that. 
Did anybody listen to our fake episode? No, I did. We released one on a on Lexi. You didn't even April see April Fool's Day. Oh, really? <laughs> and then it went. And then it went away. Yeah, we yeah. put we put Taylor Swift. Emma's, oh, like, Emma's like, you interviewed Taylor Swift when you were there, and I was like, oh, like yeah, you did. Just to or it, it was Tina's mom. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I still have the recording, but yeah, we took it down. That's awesome. No, I'm not a Swifty, but I don't mind Taylor. Are they called Swifties? Oh, yeah. <laughs> How do you not know this? Elect- aren't you a- officially a Swifty? I mean, I don't think we're just Swifty, but I'd say, yeah. She has a membership card. Yeah. Came in the mail last week. She just didn't want to tell you. It's me. Hi. I'm a problem. It's me. <laughs> 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 Thanks for asking that. Owen. Yeah, that was, that was important <laughs> and necessary. Lexi, do you got anything else you want to get into? No. You ask great questions. Thank you. Yeah. You're good well, at I liked our conversation today. You taught music in primary, too. That's... What's your favorite that's song that's to do the motions on? Ooh. <laughs> Well, it's a good question. My, I, I've had the calling three times, and the third time I finally learned that you should do motions on every song because that's the way they learn it the best. So we would like clap and snap and stomp and tap and to every song. So, so, I, but I, I did really enjoy teaching the kids sign language. That was something I loved to do. So we would do some sign language on some of the songs, but I can't remember now. <laughs> It's been too long. Love one another. Always. Seminary just completely <laughs> took over. Yeah. But I do sometimes get to go back and sub in there. And that's really great because you're just like, let's just sing. There's no pressure to teach any like songs. Really? That's the calling that scares me to death. I didn't oh, want to get up and. It is and, the best, oh, Tina. so scary. It's the best. So much fun. Especially if you tap and slap and <laughs> not do slap. All, do all the crazy stuff. <laughs> not slapping. <laughs> Tap and snap <laughs> <laughs> and march. That was a cool call. <laughs> yeah. I know his parents were grateful for whoever serves in that calling as well. Mm-hmm. It's It matters to the kids. It teaches them about the gospel. That's so true. Those songs stick with you for life. Yeah, they do. I mean, those are the ones, honestly, I don't know if we get into this, but I mean... When you're in a tough spot, primary songs are, are at least what I go to. Mm-hmm. I don't even think you realize how many of them are in there until you, you know, maybe you're in primary again or you hear someone singing one and you know every word, you know, but you yeah. didn't know, you don't only really know the words. You also know the doctrine. Like, like the, there's so much amazing doctrine that's taught that way and they don't even realize it. Well, I think when Emma was trying, they were having some challenge in activity days to do the um, the Articles of Faith. And she's like, well, I, I can't remember the Articles of Faith at all, but I know all the songs. I'm like, <laughs> well, then you know the Articles yeah, of Faith. Totally. Right. Put it to a song so and like, then you can it. learn it. Just sing uh-huh. it. That's true. Well, Christina, it's been fun having you on. I think we'll go to our last question. Um <laughs> How has being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints, helped you to better connect with our Savior, Jesus Christ? It's a great question. Um, One thing I thought of as I was thinking about this question today was how grateful I am that the gospel has been restored, 
that Jesus Christ came to earth to restore the gospel through Joseph Smith, and therefore we received further witness through the Book of Mormon and um, further, and, and now we have modern, we've, and, and then from that time on, we've had modern prophets to testify um, of Jesus Christ. And so being a member of the restored Church of Jesus Christ allows me to have access to so much, um, so many words of prophets, ancient, modern. Um, we get to hear from them every six months. We get to hear, we get to, we can study their words every single day if we desire. And so I'm grateful to be a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints um, for the ability that it gives me to go into these um into the words of Christ as recorded by these prophets um, and learn for myself to have that deep relationship with them. And by their fruits, you shall know them. And I just am so grateful to be among people who have taken the time to develop their testimonies and therefore learn from them to how to, how to have that relationship with Christ. So awesome. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. And I wanted to say a, a special thanks to Tina for coming back and guest fun. hosting. Would you do it again? Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. And Lexi, <laughs> who I don't want to say she has to, but like. <laughs> You're too good not to come back. She's a part though. of the core Lexi, now. Yeah, she is too good. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say a special thanks to everybody who's been on either as a guest host or as just a guest on the show. Um we were talking earlier about listening to other episodes like Hillary's was the most recent and uh, people may not know this, but I go back and listen to each one. And um, it's not just to hear my voice because nobody <laughs> wants to hear their own voice. Um, but everybody, there's something that stuck with me from everything that people have shared. And I think going back to promptings and, for me, this this show was a prompting and I had no clue where it was going to go. But now I'm starting to learn it was because I, I needed this too. I, I needed to be able to um, just learn from you guys and the skills and knowledge and um, faith that you built on your own personal journey. Uh, like Tina, I, I remember you talking about being a butterfly and I'm, I'm just like... It seems silly, but it's really meaningful to me and, and changed my thought about life a little bit. And what you just said, Lexi, about showing up and making it your decision, like, I'll remember that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I'll go back and listen to Christine's episode and there's going to be things that stick out to me. And I just I'm, I'm grateful. So. Thank you for following the prompting because we're all blessed by it too. I think getting to know each other through this podcast has been really a gift. Yeah, it's been amazing. And my kids love listening to it and and hearing from other people. And and I love that it's so centered on everybody's journey and their own testimony. And um, even like the kids wanted to hear my episode. They hadn't heard it yet and they listened to it. And I like, I learned something for myself almost like, <laughs> you know, because I'd forgotten some of the things and I'm like, this is a really... Um, awesome way to record your own testimony for going back on those times when you need to hear it again. Yeah. You know? So it's, I, I'm super grateful for the podcast and, and hearing from everybody else that I've heard from. And I, it's the, when it pops up on my phone, I'm like, yes, there's a new podcast. Yeah. 
Like and thanks for your family who, for, for being willing to support it too. Cause I know it's, it's one thing to have a prompting and to start something, but then to continue with it is not always easy. Yeah. So I really appreciate that. I'm part of grateful it. to my family for that. That's yeah. uh, you guys are awesome. The one thing is they know I'm impulsive and I, I definitely, if I, if I feel like I need to do something, I do it. And we're like, they've been great at, well, I guess we're doing this now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, families are awesome that way. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. This episode of the Connection Podcast. We're on most podcast carriers, so please like and subscribe. The show's art is done by Joel Boreen, and the music is provided by Drew Boreen. We look forward to connecting to you next time. Until then, take care. <laughs> <laughs>